All right. Let's let's look at uh, let's look at uh, John chapter fifteen, and we begin verse uh, verse eighteen, uh, verse eight. Again, uh, if you have the U version of the Bible, uh, you go to that. You go to events and Oil City Community Alliance. There'll be uh, a thing there that says how right here how to experience complete joy, and there'll be scriptures and things like that. Uh, they can go along with that. If that's something that you're into, you don't have to do it that way. You also have an uh, outline you can fill out as we go forward. John chapter 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. You know, our theme this year has been uh, fight for joy. That's uh, kind of been our theme. I don't know if you remember, kind of we had this and we've talked about it here and there throughout the year. How many of you have made at least some effort to actually fight for joy as we've gone through this this year? All right, there definitely are. How many have set, can say, you know what, I feel like I've got some victories on that fight for joy? Yes, amen, amen. You know, that's that's great. And And sometimes as we start to get those victories, we start to realize... Well, there really is joy, and it kind of feels like there should be more. And I, I feel like I'm just not really experiencing it. You get a little bit, and you just recognize how much maybe we're missing, and, and surely there's got to be something more. And you're right, there is. In fact, Jesus tells us a number of times, including right here in this passage, that we can experience complete joy. Complete joy. This is not some pie-in-the-sky promise that someday we can experience joy. He's given us some instructions right here. When you look at the verses, and if you have the, your Bible with you, if you have the U version or however you use it, I encourage you to use that. I'm putting these up here, but I encourage you to use your own uh, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete, full. Ah, just amazing. Your joy may be complete. So he said, I want that, right? I want that. I, 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 how do I get that? How do I get this complete joy? Well, Jesus says here, I have told you this so that you can have this complete joy. I told you what? What? What, what do you say? What do you say? Well, you hopefully have opened there, but let's just go within the context. Uh, verse 9, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Okay, so the way I experience his, his, his joy is to remain in his love. Oh, I, I think I've got that. I'm remaining in his love. 
uh, wait a minute, I'm not sure I really know what that means. Like, I'm in his love. Am I, you know, to remain, to abide, to dwell in his love? What exactly does that mean? Oh, you know what? Jesus tells us that next verse, 12, 10. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. And so, you see, why Jesus has told us these things, he's saying, listen, I have told you that you have, can have complete joy as you're in my love and obeying my commands. That's what it's about. Your joy will be complete when you have complete obedience. In fact, that's really what it comes down to. Complete obedience leads to complete joy. Some people are like, oh, man. I was really opening. I was all the... The title for the message, I'm going to give some joy. And now you're telling me complete obedience leads to complete joy. Come on, Pastor. What, what, a joy and obedience don't go together. They shouldn't be in the same sentence. One's a blessing, one's a curse, right? No, that's not true. Joy goes with obedience in the word. We may not have ever heard that, but it's true. Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Psalm 32, 10 11, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad all you who obey him. Be glad and obey at the same verse and shout for joy whose hearts are pure. And Psalm 119, verse 1, 3, Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their heart. Joy and obedience go together. It is a real thing. We can experience complete joy. And as we begin this, I just want to make sure kind of like a little... Let's be clear here that as we're talking about this, this experience of a joy and having the joy of the Lord is, is more than just what we're talking about today. Uh, in other words, I, I'm not trying to say to someone, if you're here today and you're experiencing depression, real depression, that all you got to do is just obey and you won't be depressed anymore. There's probably more that God needs to do in your life than just that. But there's not less than what God needs to do. You need to understand that. There may be more, but there's not less. It's a real thing as we think about this. How does complete obedience then lead to a complete joy? We're going to look at two points this morning. Completely obeying all that we know brings complete joy. Completely obeying all that we know brings complete joy. There are many that aren't even close to any kind of complete joy because they're not even close to complete obedience. I, you know, they don't want to hear the word obey. You know, that's the way it is here in America. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. That's uh, the world we live in. Truth is, deep down, there are even a lot of adults within our churches who still have this little child inside standing up and saying, You're not my dad. I don't have to listen to you. There's this rebelliousness, this disobedience within us, uh, many. And the unfortunate thing is God is your dad and your boss and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he expects obedience. 
By the way, this obedience thing is not some Old Testament thing. You know, well, they had to obey in the Old Testament. You know, it's, it is what it's about. James chapter 1, verse 21, uh, 22. And, and it really, if you read on from there, it's about the man who looks at himself in the mirror, sees, and then doesn't do anything about it, walks away. But this one, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is not about how we gain our salvation or get into heaven. We're not talking about that. It's not about doing religion. It's about a relationship that says, I love God and I want to obey. This is what he's saying. Do what it says. This is the word says. And there are many that know know what they need to do. God's word is clear. It's been clear to you. And the Holy Spirit even has been clear to you, convicting your heart and your mind. But we walk away. We walk away from obeying, not realizing that we're also walking away from joy, from real joy. Now, for some, you, we wouldn't really call ourselves rebellious. We want to follow Christ in general, and yet the truth is we don't always want to in every area. I mean, someone says, you know, I, I really do try to do the right things. I, I try to do what God wants. But what does it mean when we say, I try to do? Is it complete obedience? Or is it like the illustration that Charles Stanley gave of a father who, before he left for work, told his son, listen, I want you to, today, I want you to straighten up your room, take out the garbage, and sweep the driveway. Later, dad comes home. He's a little concerned. And so calls the son down, and your son's going to explain what's going on, uh, on on how we went about doing what he was told to do. He says, well, Dad, the garbage was only half full, so I didn't empty it. And you know what? I, I just figured nobody ever really goes in my room. Nobody sees it, so I didn't clean it. But I did sweep the driveway just like you ask. Let me ask you, is there going to be joy in that father over that? And after that, is there going to be joy in that son? After that? I think even by listening to that, we know that this pick-and-choose partial obedience is really disobedience. What the son did was not right. His reasonings were just excuses. And these types of excuses are the ones we use with God. You know, what you say? It's not that bad. I don't really have to deal with it yet. It's, it's not become that big of a problem. It's not a big deal. In other words, the garbage is only half full in my life. I don't really have to deal with this yet, even though you said I should. Or the whole don't clean, you don't have to clean the room because nobody sees it, then we, that's our excuses are, well, you know, what I do when no one else is around, that, that, that should be up to me. It doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't hurt anyone. No one even knows. But your Father in heaven knows. The Father who requests you're just writing off and ignoring the Father who loves you, who's done everything for you. And when He tells you that you should do this or not do this, He's telling it to you out of love for your best, 
He's not telling you these things to be a killjoy. He's actually telling them to use to give you joy. That in your complete obedience you find a complete joy. Instead, we say, we know what's best and we know what we should do and I'm going to do the thing. And, and Jesus says in verse 14 in our passage in John 15 here that uh, being his friends has to do with doing what he commands. Not picking and choosing, doing what he commands, period. Everything he commands. Not just what you want or like. In many ways, it's, it's similar to the the rich young ruler, if you look at Mark chapter 10, in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, this is Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and her father, or father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give, uh, give to the poor and you will have the treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's this young man. He says, I followed. I, I, I try to follow everything you say. I've, I, I, if I compare my life to other people I know, I am way better in what I'm doing than them. I, I'm, I'm obeying. I've done all, everything just like you ask. When the reality is, I've swept the driveway just like you ask. There is more. And Jesus gives him more, puts his finger on it. And the young man walked away sad. In other words, he walked away without joy because he did not want to obey that. And that's the way so many Christians today walk away from Jesus. In fact, that's the way so many Christians today in churches are going to walk away from messages like this this morning. We're just going to walk out knowing we're supposed to, knowing that we haven't obeyed, and we're going to walk without joy. And we'll try to convince ourselves that we've obeyed enough, that, that, it, that it's good enough. I did sweep the driveway, and, and the, the trash is only halfway. And yet without complete obedience, we will never experience complete joy. We will just walk away sad instead of walking with Him glad. And an example of that, uh, just a, a good example of that kind of thinking would be as uh, we look forward to a baptismal service coming next Sunday at 4 p.m. during the summer fellowship time at the Oil Creek campgrounds. In many ways, baptism comes down to a simple obedience, not, not some kind of obedience of just checking off a list, a duty, but really a desire to follow Christ, a desire to submit to Him with all our life 
And yet we put it off. So many people put it off. Kind of like emptying the trash. It's not a big deal. But God said that we should be baptized. Well, I don't need to do that to get to heaven. If all we did is what we needed to do to heaven, then all we would have is a religion. We wouldn't have a relationship with the Father who asks us so much. And yet has given us way much more. Baptism is part of God's plan from the, the great commission he left us. Therefore, go in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that's his command in the Christian Missionary Alliance. We know that. And yet, are we just thinking, well, we're just supposed to have other people get baptized. That's what that command is. Go, you know, go and other people get baptized. It's not us. We don't, we don't do that. Yeah, that really is what God asked. Uh, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church and all that took place. And, and then Peter had this amazing opportunity to talk about Jesus, to present the good news about Jesus and talk. And, and the people are like, oh, wow, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The very first, the great opportunity, thousands of people listening. If it was really not that big a deal, why did he even say it? Why did God put that upon him? The Holy Spirit was clearly, deeply upon them. It's clear. I don't know. I'll get to it someday. When there is partial submission... The best that you can hope for is a partial joy, and sometimes not even that. We miss experiencing the complete joy because we have not completely surrendered ourselves to completely obey. By the way, you can still be baptized next week. You know? And this is not a... uh, I mean, it is a message, and it's telling you. I'm I'm hoping we just say, you know what? That's what God said. I should just do it. And as we go on here, maybe you understand a little bit more of why we should do it. But it can still be you just need to talk to me. I've got some uh, packets of information on the front here that I can give to you. But complete obedience brings complete joy. Complete obedience meaning that we are obeying all that we know. All that we know that we should or should not be doing. There are some things that we're just not aware of yet. That we we are not knowing. So it's not about being perfect, but it is about perfectly obeying what we already know. We should be doing or saying or thinking that we're just putting off. And really we're just putting off because we really just don't want to. We're not willing. When we're not obedient, by the way, what's another way to say not obedient? disobedient i mean we we like to say it but when we're not obedient in other words when we're disobedient in our actions and our attitudes it creates a distance between us and god and our relationship with him isaiah 59 verse 2 says your sins have made a separation between you and your god a sin is not obeying god and so when you're doing that there's that separation and so 
when we're talking about a complete joy that we want to experience, it is a joy of Jesus. Verse 11 in John 15, where we were at uh, before, and it talked about the complete joy. Hopefully you recognize there that he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's complete because it's Jesus' joy. But how are we going to have a complete Jesus' joy in us if we have separated ourselves from him? The farther we are from him, the farther we are from joy. We need to be completely obeying with all that we know, all that we know about to bring about the complete joy. But uh, the second part is this, to be completely obeying with all that we are is complete joy. All that we know we should will bring us joy, that, that joy, but it's more than that. Because let's face it, there are those who would say, I really do, not just try, I, I feel like before the Lord I am obeying everything I know I should be obeying. Now there are things that God hasn't revealed to me yet, but I feel like I'm obeying everything that I should, and yet I don't feel joyful. You may be that person, you know, like I'm not trying to not do. I am trying, but I just don't feel joyful in it. I I, I mean, I do it. I do what I'm supposed to because that's the right thing, even though it rubs me the wrong way. I don't like it. I'm not happy about doing this, but and, and at times I just feel like it's hard to obey. It's a grief, not a joy, but I do it. I just do it. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's part of the insight that I hope you get this morning of why you're not experiencing complete joy even though you're really doing everything that you should be, so to speak. Uh, I'll put it this way, 1 John chapter 5. This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. It's not just that they won't rub us the wrong way, but we feel like they're hard to obey. He's saying His commands are not burdensome. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It may seem hard, but the overwhelming, it's not an overwhelming burden. It's not an impossible difficulty with God's help. Now, please, as we're saying this, you need to understand, you need to have Jesus in your life. In a, real, uh, in a real way that it invited Jesus to come into your life because if we're trying to do this and Jesus is outside at the door knocking, trying to get in, it's going to be very hard to completely obey and then find that complete joy because we're trying to do it on our own. Jesus has to help us, but for many, it may be that you've never really invited Jesus who's knocking at the door just to come on in. That needs to happen. But if we're completely obeying with all that we are, then we can do that in a joy. Uh, what does it mean completely obey with all that we are? We looked at a motivation earlier, love. Love is our motivation. Uh, in John chapter 15, where we started, uh, verse 14. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. All right. So who is Jesus to us? 
You want Jesus to say, what a friend we have in Jesus? And he's saying, if, if you're going to say that, then you are my friends if you do what I command. If we don't, Jesus is just an acquaintance. Jesus is just someone we met at some point in time. Jesus is just some religious figure. Not our friend. It's Jesus himself. I'm not saying this. It's right there. It's right there. You are my friends if you do what I command. And therefore, if you don't, then you're not my friend. What's the best way for us to love our friend? What's the best way to care about the friend we have in Jesus? And for some people, they think the best way to get close to Jesus is is through worship. It's just worship, and worship narrowly defined as the singing of songs that I like so that I get a warm, fuzzy feeling that accompanies it. And then I just know I love Jesus, and he knows I love him. And that's not what Jesus says. I mean, we think we're going to have a joy because we have this sacrifice of praise coming out of our lips, but at the same time, we're not willing to give a sacrifice of obedience with our life. How do we think we're going to experience joy? For Samuel chapter 5, for Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying in the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than all these things. You know, you you talk about the feeling. You can read the word. You can worship. You can do all this stuff. But in the end, if you love me, you will obey. The reality is, if you want to feel closer to Jesus, just do what he asks. In fact, in, in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says again, If you love me, obey my commands. And let's just think about this as a standpoint, uh, uh, like a child to a parent. Think, think with me about for a moment about a child that constantly says to their parent, I love you. Oh, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. You're the best parent in the world. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. And they're like, they're never disrespectful. They're just... Their words are just flowing with love and kindness and, oh, I just love... You know, they, they just... They are never, never... In any way do they become verbally disrespectful. But they also pretty much never seem to do what you ask them to do. You know, maybe they you know, create this nice little feeling, but eventually the parents are, you know, get a clue. They say, you know what? An awful lot of talk and not much walk here. And so all those words about how you love me and think I'm the best parent, those are baloney. Because you're just doing your own thing. You're completely disrespecting what I've asked when you should be obeying. It's time for us to walk the talk, to really love. And when we have that complete love uh, with everything that we are, then we experience a complete joy. 
If our obedience is, is out of love, then how should that be? Think about it. Our obedience should come, and I already did that at the beginning of the service, at looking through John there. Obedience is connected to love. What, how should we love God? With everything, with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, right? So if we're to love God with all of that, and obedience is our love, our obedience is the way that he says we show that we love him, then our obedience should be with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. Our obedience should be with all of that. Is it? So many times it's not complete obedience with all our mind, whole heart, strength. We're doing the action, but you know what? I don't like it. I'll do it, but I'm going to hate it. That's never going to find joy that way. There is a difference between I have to do this and I want to do this. Joy comes from a heart that wants to. Our hands might be willing to do what they're supposed to do. All right, I got my hands doing my head and my mind, and it says, okay, yes. But when our heart doesn't want to, we're missing out on the joy oftentimes because we may have submitted our mind to think the right way, but we've not submitted our heart to Christ. Even if we're doing the right thing, even if we're doing the right action, but we have a wrong attitude, we're not going to experience the joy that Jesus wants to give us. We're missing it. We experience joy not by obedience merely in our actions, but also by obedience in our attitude. If we say, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it, or I will do it, but I don't want to do it, how can we really expect we're going to experience a complete joy with that attitude? You know, perhaps there are people in your life, like a, a boss or something, that is all, all they're concerned about is just do it. Just do it. Just get the job done. I don't care. You do it well, but get the job done. But our loving Heavenly Father doesn't want just that. God isn't just concerned about you doing your duty. God is concerned about our attitude, and it shouldn't be a surprise because God looks on our heart. We know God looks at the heart. And and it shouldn't be a surprise because when we're talking about joy, joy is an attitude. And so sometimes all we're doing is just doing the right thing and thinking we're going to get joyful, and we're not because we haven't had the attitude, the heart, that I want to do this, cheerfully obeying. And I know that there are some with this whole attitude counts. Yeah, okay, well, the attitude. Well, I, my attitude stinks, so I just won't do it. So if I got, you know, so if I, I got the wrong attitude, I just won't do it. So in other words, I already got the wrong attitude, so I'm going to go ahead and do the wrong action. Two wrongs make a right. That's where we get the expression. And one of the ways that shows up in many Christians is in the area of giving. 
giving to the Lord when we start talking about tithes and offerings. We got these excuses, you know. I, you know, I, that's really hard to, I, I can't, my heart can't really get, you know, we just read about the rich young ruler. Jesus didn't ask you to give everything you had away the poor. He says, give our tithes and offerings. Yeah, but it's just, I, I, you can't have joy and, and, and giving at the same time. And yet that's really what it is about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9. We just look at verse in chapters 9 in 2 Corinthians. There's no need for me to write to you about the service of the saints, about their giving, for I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year at KI, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending to brothers in order that the boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you would be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared and not say anything about it, I would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised, and that it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Uh, you got to understand, they're also, as we read through this, that they're giving out of their poverty, it says. But remember this. In verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided is hard to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's, that's the one verse we just want to take out of there. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not going to be, I, I can't be cheerful about it, so I won't give. I got the wrong attitude, so I won't give. I'll just go ahead and have the wrong action. Two wrongs making a right. It doesn't. In fact, when you read the context of this, you read what he's talking about, and we actually put it in there. I mean, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you abound in every good work. He supplies, you will be, he supplies seed to the sower, bread for the food, supply the harvest, you're righteous. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. The whole point of the, what he's talking about in the passage is not somebody that, well, if I just give a little bit, then I'm happy. I, I'm telling you, I don't know too many people that even when they just give a little bit, they're happy about that. It's his attitude of our heart he's talking about here. You give. And it's not, it doesn't have to be a struggle. It's not a struggle for me. You know, to, to, to give unto the Lord tithes and offerings, it's something that, it's not just a duty. It's a devotion. It's a joy. It, it, it's not an issue. Complete obedience comes out of complete love for God. We want this to be real. Joy and obedience. By our will, we obey. Uh, let's think of it this way. Point one that I had earlier. We make that distinction. Point one, that it is by our will, we obey. We obey everything that we know that we should be doing. And as we do that, we find joy. As we obey, we find joy. In the end. But this point that we're talking about right here, joy doesn't come after you obey. If we're obeying with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, our whole soul, joy is something that's happening the whole time as we're obeying. It may sound crazy, but look at this. When we think about 
what it is talking about. In Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. The delight, the joy doesn't come after you obey. The joy comes in the obeying. Right along with it, the whole whole time. The difference between point one and point two here is that in point one, joy is the fruit of our obedience. But in point two, joy is the root of our obedience. Where obedience comes from is from a joy that motivates us in an obedience, in a devotion, not just a duty. Not because we fear punishment. And I... I just think so long, and I'm sure to some of you today, it just seems like that's this is the same as, as old messages, but I know there are times in the past that we just had people who would uh, be hard-nosed about obedience and graceless in their thinking, and God just wants you to obey. Joyless obedience is what God wants. Just do it. Jump and ask how high on the way up, and it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, that we don't have a duty to obey. We do. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about being disciplined by our Heavenly Father because usually be, when you're talking about obey, it's the fear of God trying to be put in you, and, and that's true. God will uh, discipline. But that's the wrong motivation. When we settle for that old-time kind of way of thinking, we settle for the kind of just-do-it obedience. And therefore, we never reach the level of complete obedience because we're just doing it with our mind and with our strength, but our heart is not there. And so we'll never experience complete joy. We obey out of duty, not out of devotion to the relationship with a Father who loves us and we love Him. Our obedience becomes joy as a whole process and what He wants to do in us through us i really believe that we're missing this part of christianity some have just written off any talk of obedience and others have put it in the other way and and we missed out because we say as evangelicals often when we talk about you know christianity is about a relationship with god but the reality is we begin that relationship with god and then we just live a religion it becomes just about doing the right thing about a duty. If it's about a relationship that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, it should come not of a fear, but out of love that we want to obey. That what Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey. Uh, an obedience not to our master, because that's what Jesus says in verse 15. Is I, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And for us to understand the depth of what that means. That I obey not just because I'm a Christian and that's what I'm supposed to do. I obey because Jesus is my friend. And my friend has asked me to do this. And you know what? I care about what my friend says and what he's asking. And I I want to do what would please him. It brings me joy that he gets joy. That as I 
do what he's asked, I can enter into my master's joy. But just not just as a master, but as a friend. So obedience brings the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord brings obedience. If we, just today, in some ways we come before the Lord in communion and we think about what Jesus did. I mean, in His obedience, it didn't come close to anything He's asking of us. As hard as it may seem, it's not as close as what Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, read in Hebrews. It can't compare. And He can help you with this. Complete obedience can lead to complete joy. Uh, So the worship team would come, pray, as well as the uh, communion stewards. Father, thank you for our time here before your table. Jesus, we want to meet you, our friend, who has done so, so much for us. We recognize your call to obedience, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us not just to be doing it out of a duty because we have to or because we're afraid you're going to come down on us, but that we would be doing it out of a love, a love with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And so we want to do what you ask, not just with our actions, but with our attitude. And so as we come before your communion here, this communion, Lord, those things in our life that have not been what they should have been, we've not been following. Help us to confess that before you. But more than that, to recognize you, tell us to repent, to turn away from that and turn to you. You're right there. You've always been right there with arms open wide. Maybe we've had our backs to you, but you are always right there behind us. Even in this moment, we would turn and know your forgiveness, your restoration, and your power to do what you ask. Bring to us a joy that fully fills and is complete. Meet us even in this moment. We ask that you bless the bread as it is passed, as we partake together, as it represents your body that was broken for us. You were obedient even unto death. We haven't had to even come close to that. Thank you. Thank you. Pour out your love upon us right now. That we would surrender to you in this. That we bring our all to you. In your name we pray. Amen.